The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome back to the Video Insiders. Dror, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Mark. How are you? Hey, it's been an incredible week. We've had, this is our third episode this week. So, um, you know, we're really in the groove. Yeah, recording one after the other. One after the other. But this one is uh, a very special one. This is just not just uh, yet another episode of the Video Insider. That is correct. It is not by any stretch. Who are we talking to today, Dror? So today we are talking with a person that has over 30 years of experience in video standards for image and video, all of the JPEG and the MPEG standards. This person has been the chairman of the AVC Standardization Committee and HEVC, and now he's the chairman of VVC. And we are talking about uh, no else than uh, Gary Sullivan himself. Hi, Gary. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, Gary, welcome to the Video Insiders. I have to say this, Gary, you know, in doing my my research on you, as we were talking before we recorded, you know, we've uh, sort of crossed paths in various standards meetings or whatever, but not had a, an opportunity to really talk directly. So this is really a pleasure. But um, you have a very impressive Wikipedia page. In fact, oh. <laughs> out of all of our guests, I, you know, Dror, have any of our guests had Wikipedia pages? I don't think we've checked, but this is impressive. So anyway, I, yeah. congratulations. I think, I think you had Leonardo Caraglione uh, as a guest. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. Leonardo, of course, has, had a Wikipedia page. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, I was uh, incredibly impressed. And you have <laughs> at the bottom, there's 23 references to uh, your, your, your various academic writings. And yeah, so <laughs> very impressive. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you. And, uh, and tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself to those people who don't know you or who uh, may have never read Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, sure. I uh, I got into video coding as a graduate student in the late 1980s at UCLA, and then joined PictureTel, which was the the biggest video conferencing company at the time in 1991 and that's that's when i started doing video coding standards as a direct participant then uh it was in in uh 96 i guess that i was appointed as the rapporteur of video coding in itu so i'm the chair since then of the group known as uh, vkeg the video coding experts group in study group 16 of I2T. There I uh, started with leading ex extensions of the uh, H263 project and then moved on to what became AVC or H.264 and, and then HEVC uh, and uh, now VVC. Each of those last three have been big joint projects of both I2T and the ISO IEC uh, MPEG group as uh, as one small correction for 
VVC, I, I am the co-chair, uh, not the only chair of the, the development of, of VVC. Jens Reiner Ohm, who is a professor in Germany, is the is the other co-chair, and we're in the middle of that project now, planning to be finished in uh, uh, around the middle of next year. Well, that, that's really great, and uh, we'd also like to mention I I saw you on a on a video yesterday, which I immediately emailed that link to my dad, where uh, you're standing there in a suit, which is not very common for you, I guess, uh, on the stage <laughs> uh, in LA, uh, getting the uh, award, the Emmy Award for the uh, development of the JPEG Codex, celebrating 30 years. Yes, it's uh, really, a, that was a, a great celebration. And, and uh, I wish that your dad was there. Uh, of course, that was a... Uh, uh, an Emmy, a primetime Emmy award uh, given just last week for uh, for the original JPEG standard, which was, I think it was first published in 1992 and developed around starting in 1986 and mostly finished around 1990 or something. And uh, your dad is, has been a guy who helped a lot in drafting the AVC standard and, and he he, uh, as I understand it, was also a, a big contributor to the, the editorial quality of the JPEG standard. And uh, he uh, deserves more of the recognition, I think, for that Emmy than I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was there representing the ITUT since I am the, the current uh, rapporteur. But of course, that that standard was developed before I was involved, so I can't really claim any any real credit for the for the excellent work that that led to that Emmy. Although I was invited to go to the stage to represent ITU, it was a great yeah. evening. No, you you are too humble, of course. I mean, your contribution uh, across the years definitely deserves a, a recognition. And, and thank you for those uh, words about my dad. And now the listeners know why the announcer at the beginning of the podcast talks about a second generation uh, <laughs> video nerd. Yes. <laughs> so, um, by the way, you, you reminded us that we, of course, uh, hosted Leonardo here. And he's very keen about using the uh, MPEG names for all of the video codecs, right? AVC, HEVC, VVC. But you were representing ITU, so were you pushing for the H dot uh, names at the same time? Or how does it work? <laughs> oh well, we uh, we all try to get along, and and so uh, especially for HEVC and VVC, there's a, a stronger agreement to try to use a common name for those. The uh, we, it it does get into somewhat uh, geek speak to be able to talk about numbers like. Uh, one four four nine six dash ten. Yeah, for, for <laughs> that's <ABC>. right. <laughs> Another uh, nickname for for this thing. Yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's right. We had Bruce Devlin on uh, yesterday from Sempty, and uh, I think maybe you you know Bruce, uh, but um, you know throwing yeah. around all the all the Sempty numbers and you know all the <laughs> standards designations is like wow, your head spins after a while. But uh, 
Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's why they have nicknames. That's why that's, they have that's right. That's right. TLAs, three-letter yeah. acronyms. Yeah, that, and it's and, and it and it's really funny. On that note, you know, of course, I you know I'm responsible primarily for marketing, and uh, so you know when we write this stuff out, the internal debates are over because you know the, the market kind of. But you know there was like, but it's not right to say H two six four and HEVC like it should be AVC and you know, an HEVC or, but the market, it, it's just super interesting. It's like the, you know, when you're just talking to like our customers in the market, they, you know, they just commonly refer to H264 and HEVC. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's kind of the market speak anyway. Wow. You know, Gary, I, I, I'd like to jump, really jump into sort of the deep end of the discussion here. And there's so many angles that, you know, we can take. And, uh, you know, this is a conversation that we could probably talk for hours and, and feel like we barely scratched the surface uh, just over your, you know, incredible years of experience and, and all. But I'd like to jump into the deep end. And um, there's some uh, questions being raised around codec complexity. And, I think everyone's pretty comfortable and familiar with, you know, the target of a generational improvement of targeting 50% bitrate efficiency for the next generation of, of Kodak. And that's great. And we certainly saw that uh, moving, you know, from AVC to HEVC and, you know, now HEVC to VVC. And so that, you know, is awesome. What some are concerned about is the codec complexity that comes with the next generation. And um, what their concern is, is that are we getting to a point where the added codec complexity doesn't provide enough of an ROI for the bitrate savings? And so I'm wondering if, you know, you've got a front row seat to all this. And I'm, I'm wondering what your observations are around this. You know, is, is, is this an issue Sure. Of course, it's an issue. It's it's always been an issue. One of my things that I ran across looking through some historical documents was was when H.261 uh, was being developed in the late 1980s. There's uh, I, I ran across document archives studying whether they thought it was possible to do a discrete cosine transform in real time. Is this too much complexity, or is it not? And we we always have to balance complexity with the uh, compression capability. And those are always difficult judgments. Each time we you know we design something new, we we have to try to strike a balance of what we think is is practical and achievable. And there's there's a number of facets to that that are that are very important. I would say there's two. Aside from just needing to strike a balance there that's that's practical to implement, I'd also like to mention two things that I think are, are really important for people to understand about standards and uh, you know video coding in particular. One is that uh, when we standardize a uh, video coding technology, uh, such as any of the ones that we mentioned here already, we only standardize the decoding process. We don't standardize what an encoder does at all. So there's a lot of freedom that encoders have. They're, the only thing that they're required to do is to, to produce data that's in the correct format according to the document. So there's there, there can be uh, 
big differences in the, the quality of uh, and complexity of different encoders. And the, the second thing that I would like to emphasize is that distinction between encoders and decoders. Typically, there are many more decoders decoding and watching video than, than there are encoders uh, sending video. You know, in a video conferencing scenario, you have both, but often for broadcasting or something, it's those are typically very different, completely different products, often made by different companies. And so you can have uh, different customizations of the levels of, of encoder quality but everybody has to be able to decode the video once you've encoded it. And, and that's what the standard covers and requires. So we, we make an important distinction between encoding and decoding. And, and the complexity of those things is uh, very important to balance as well as the overall complexity. So decoders are generally the most important thing to focus on because they're often millions of decoders decoding video by a single encoder. And then it's also worth thinking about hardware versus software. Sometimes the, the encoders and decoders are using custom silicon and sometimes they're operating in software. And the speed at which they can operate and things like battery usage characteristics are going to be very different for something that's implemented in custom silicon versus something that's implemented in software on a, on a CPU. So there's a lot of things that go into that, uh, but we always try to find the, uh, you know, a balance that will be practical to implement at the time that, that we finish uh, developing a standard. Uh, we have to have choose a point on the trade-off of where we can, can get the most bang for the buck and still be able to expect people to implement things on a large scale. And typically this uh, 50% uh, reduction in, uh, in bitrate in latest generations, uh, it's not only a 2x increase in compute, I guess, to offset that. It's uh, much more than that. Well, uh, again, it's important to make a distinction between encoders and decoders. Yeah, of course. We For HEVC, I think it was less than 2x in terms of the complexity for implementing a decoder, especially if it's on custom silicon. But encoders, encoder complexity is, is a really big issue. And some of the more sophisticated things that we've been adding in the latest generations add more and more possibilities for an encoder to evaluate and consider and that drives up the encoder complexity to potentially very high levels. Like I said, the, the encoder is not inside the scope of the standard, but if the encoder wants to take advantage of all of the advanced features, it needs to do a lot of work to evaluate all the coding options and, and optimize all, this, all the settings of everything. Uh, so encoding can be, a, can be a real complexity issue. Although I would say in the last few generations, especially the last, the last couple of generations, decoder complexity has not been as big a problem. Generally, decoding computing resources have been okay for implementing each generation as we, as we developed it. And I think we're on track for that again for VVC. The, I think the decoder complexity will probably not be a real big problem. 
So if if your primary focus is the is looking at the decode complexity as you just explained, but at the same time the group is very well aware as they're developing the standards that encoder complexity is very important to also consider. How does that factor into decisions being made? And you know, what happens if 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 you run into a situation where you say, gee, we can get X percent better performance or, or, or bit rate reduction or, you know, whatever that vector is you're looking at. However, it's going to affect encode complexity. Since that's not primarily what you're looking at, how do you make those decisions? Uh, can you give us some insight? As to- sure. Uh, and it is a very tough problem. We, we have run into that issue many times. One uh, good example that comes to my mind is when we did the HEVC standard, there was a process uh, called the adaptive uh, loop filter that we thought maybe if we put that in the in the final standard, we weren't sure how much uh, subjective quality benefit it would provide, and we thought that it its complexity was so high that very few encoders initially would be likely to want to use it, and that led us to think that maybe people making decoders would try to not even bother to support it if they didn't think the encoders were going to use it. And we really didn't want a situation like that where we might have a standard that says one thing on paper, but in real implementations, people are removing features from the design. And so we made a tough decision at that point, and we left that feature out of HEVC. Now we're developing VVC and the adaptive loop filter with a conceptually similar design to what we were thinking of before is now a part of the VVC design, even though its encoder complexity looked a bit too high when we were working on the previous generation. That's a really interesting consideration that you're making, because as you said, the standard defines the bitstream. And uh, any uh, encoder can create a compliant bitstream, but if you put a tool there that uh, is part of the standard, so a decoder must support it, and no encoders will implement it, then you're uh, wasting uh, resources and sometimes uh, silicon or software development cycles on the decode side for a tool that nobody will use. So yes, um, or or people might end up just deciding not to implement it, even though the spec says they need to. Uh, that that has happened in the past, yeah. And then you end up with non-compliant decoders, yeah, which which is a, a mess, thing. right? Yeah. That creates a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Potentially, yeah. Uh, you know, to some degree, I think the market can tolerate some of that, but uh, you, you don't want it to become confusing and and create incompatible operation across different domains. Uh, it could be could become a real problem. Right, right. Now, uh, since you mentioned HEVC. I don't want to open a Pandora box, but there is an issue with HEVC that has been, uh, you know, bothering a lot of people in the industry for uh, several years. And uh, even Leonardo, when he was here on the podcast and in all of his blogs, he he talks about this issue that uh, actually the HEVC standard, the adoption of that standard has been uh, delayed because of issues of royalty uncertainty. And uh, many patent pools and many companies with patents outside of the patent pools. And 
this created a, a situation where people were reluctant to upgrade to the new codec because they didn't know how much they would have to pay for implementing and who are they going uh, to pay it to. And uh, I and I, I know this has been widely discussed in the MPEG meetings. And uh, what I would like to, to learn is um, what uh, kind of um, methods or uh, procedures is the MPEG committee planning to uh, implement or is already implementing to prevent this from happening in a future codecs and have a more certain environment for uh, licensing the essential patents for the codec? Oh, well, yeah, that's a, that's a tough issue. We, uh, and maybe it's, you could call it the third leg of the stool to make, uh, to make something uh, a solid standard or a solid video coding design. You need, you need three legs on a stool in order to uh, be able to, to have a stable piece of furniture. And uh, maybe the three legs of video coding's structure are coding efficiency, complexity, and reasonable licensing. <laughs> but there is right. a limit. There is a limit of, of of how much we can do in a standards committee. Ultimately, the people who own patent rights uh, have the the right to to determine how those those patent rights can be used. A patent, in principle, gives a person the uh, complete monopoly over the use of that technology unless they choose to be willing to, to license it. And uh, video coding has been, I guess, since the MPEG-2 generation at least, uh, has been a pretty heavily patented space. And there, there have been controversies and difficulties uh, for patent licensing for for video coding ever ever since about that time it has been a real issue for HEVC and has slowed down its adoption significantly although HEVC is is starting to to uh, to have a quite significant presence yes, uh, in is. the marketplace the uh, the latest survey that I results that I have seen seem to say that about half of people who um, who deal with video uh, as developers or, or service providers are using HEVC today. We're now, I guess, about uh, seven and a half years uh, since the development of HEVC. No, six and a half. Six and a half. We finished the standard and in uh, early uh, 2013, so six and a half years later, we're at the, roughly the 50% level of, of uh, adoption by the community, and we we would have wanted to be uh, in a better market penetration than than that at this stage. Although that's that's quite, uh, it's not as if it, it, it isn't being yeah, used. Yeah, that's a very no, no, it's, yeah. it's being widely used. And I think this is a good opportunity to point to the document that you wrote, and maybe we'll put a link to that in the podcast notes. You you uh, submitted the document to the MPEG committee with uh, the deployment status and traction of uh, HEVC across various industries, devices, services, software development, and all of that. And I understand this is a public document, right, that anybody can access? Yes, uh, I, I periodically send this, uh, uh, submit a document to each uh, 
or nearly each of the standards meetings uh, in our, uh, which we have about four per year, which is a survey of the uh, the uh, deployment status of of HEVC. And uh, you know, it's a, usually is document number twenty of JCTVC meetings, and uh, of course you'd be welcome to to link to the the latest version of that. Uh, so in that, I try to survey the the overall deployment status of, of the standard and and what products have recently been announced that that are using it, and it's it's a survey in that in that document. Uh, that was uh, reported by Bitmovin, I believe, uh, that I'm referring to uh, when I, I gave the statistics that I just mentioned. They had reported in uh, as of uh, about a month ago, or six weeks ago, or something. They they said that uh, 43% of developers, video developers, were currently using HEVC, and about. 32 percent were planning to implement it within the next year so uh, you know a month or two later we're, we're probably roughly at the 50 percent level mm-hmm. at least at 43 percent which is uh, yeah. <laughs> quite quite significant uh, there are, are countries where uh, television broadcast are, is being done with HEVC and it's very widely used in uh, well-known streaming services and so forth uh, I think particularly when you talk about very high resolution video at ultra HD mm-hmm. uh, 4k resolution a lot of that is is using HEVC today uh, of course we're we're now shifting our focus to the next generation uh, beyond that but uh, I think that despite the problems that have existed for for HEVC there there is there is a quite significant adoption of it uh, and uh, you know, as the person who who chaired its development or co-chaired its development, I am yeah, glad to see that. I'm, I'm curious, yeah. Gary. You know, obviously, we all know very well, and we've been talking about the the drag on HEVC over the you know the royalty issues, the licensing issues, and we're six and a half years down the road, and you know, roughly at fifty percent penetration. In a best case scenario, would you have expected? that we would have gotten here say five years down the road or four years or, you know, I'm just curious, like how, how much has this really affected us? I, I know, I know it's just sort of a finger in the wind question, but you know. Yeah. It, it, it takes a while for it people does. to implement yeah. a standard anyway, even if, even yeah, if there's absolutely. no issue with licensing, you know, hardware support lags behind uh, standardization by uh, Mm-hmm. couple of years typically and you know it, it uh, there's the installed base issues to to think about uh, there's there's uh, quite a lot of issues with rolling out a new generation of, of design like that and yeah it's it's hard to um, it's hard to estimate but I, th- I think there is general agreement that there have been issues with the HEVC that have has slowed down its adoption uh, people are not not happy and uh, the situation is 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 has not been sufficiently clear and i think most people would would really like to see improvement of the situation it's still not not very clear exactly what it's going to cost you to to implement the standard and and where you will have to go to get all the 
all the licensing rights that that you would need to be confident that you're you're doing authorized uh, uh, usage of, of the standard. Yeah, I think it's actually a testament to the fact that this is a very, very good technology that, as you said, very large streaming services are using the standard and broadcasters. And so, though certainly it's well known, there's some who have said, you know, we can't go near it, you know, their legal departments or whatever, you know, just kind of drawn a line in the sand. But the technology is very, very, very good. And it's sufficient that people said, hey, you know, we're willing to take maybe a little bit of a risk, you know, in adopting it because the technology is good. Well, we we try very hard, you know, in in uh, developing the standard to make it as, as good technically as, as it possibly can be. Often in other domains, I think they're they're less aggressive in, in trying to push the envelope of, of uh, uh, capability when, when things are standardized. But uh, we, we, we have, uh, I think it's generally agreed that for HEVC and AVC before it, uh, we were quite aggressive on making those technologies as advanced as they could be at the, at the time that they were standardized. Uh, and really, it's, it's that that is primarily under our control. We, we cannot ultimately control what happens with the, uh, with the patent licensing situation. Uh, that's generally worked out after standardization is completed. And... Uh, there are a lot of considerations involved so that we're not even allowed to discuss specific licensing terms when we are working on developing a standard. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, that, that's, that's not, not possible <laughs> to even. Uh... But people, you know, people do have to understand that there's a, there's a value proposition with any technology and, if uh, if the licensing regime is is not working out the way that it should, really the people the patent holder shouldn't be happy with that situation either. Because uh, even yeah, if they're, they're just trying paid. to yeah, even even if they're just trying to extract money from the market, uh, that's they need right. Somebody has to use your use your IP money. or else you're <laughs> not getting paid. <laughs> it yeah. Doesn't matter what you're charging. Do you think, yeah. Gary? But if I'm very willing to say that you know if things don't don't yeah. work out well in licensing, then alternatives will exist in the market. There, there's 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 a uh, sure a diversity sure, of sure. technology. We've, there. we've seen and, that. And, yeah, we've seen that so, happen. Uh, yeah. Do you think, you know, this is an interesting question and um, maybe you can answer, maybe not, but do you think it's really possible (laughs) to create a royalty-free codec standard? And and let's, no, let's say not only royalty-free, a royalty-free codec standard that is competitive in terms of its compression efficiency with oh. current uh, codec, of course. Oh, now you're, yeah. <laughs> now you're, getting, now you're getting tough on yeah. me. I, was yeah, I had to go tough because, yeah, I can have a codec that does nothing. You know, a new codec is royalty-free. It does nothing. It doesn't well, compress, but it's a codec. Uh, but, well, yeah, something hey, that, think, that's, you know, like competitive. MPEG-1 and MPEG-2 are <laughs> yeah, royalty-free today. Um, <laughs> right, I think. Right. I That's think. right. And, uh, and they were they competitive were. in their times, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's 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 tough. But, you know, it's very there's a, there are a lot of patents on video coding, and and uh, uh, I think in some cases the patents are are kind of questionable. You know, maybe if if you took something all the way to a court trial or some kind of appeals court panel of judges, they, they mm-hmm. might they might decide mm-hmm. that some patents are not even valid. But it's it's uh, it's a gamble, uh, and it takes takes millions of dollars to to get to that point in in legal fees and disputes. So it's it's uh, hard to it's hard to determine. I think in some cases a lot of what we work on has been around for a long time in some form or another. The basic ideas of much of what we do have been around for for quite a long time. I, uh, you know, as, as one example, uh, I wrote papers in around 1991 about uh, variable block size video coding and and uh, variable block size motion compensation, mm-hmm. uh, and and those things and and overlapped block motion compensation. I did all of that around 1991, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, and then you put it in a drawer and you open that drawer with VVC, right? Those things are features of, 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 you know, those are at the core of what we're doing now in, in video coding. They were, you know, beyond what was in the standards at the time. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, those, those are now uh, 30-year-old documents. Uh, so, you know, that the, the Basic ideas like that can't be patented, but a lot of details can be patented. Mm, yeah. uh, I think it's also true that a lot of patents are, are sometimes written to be very specific to the point where if you do things a little bit differently, somebody's patent might not apply. But there are a lot of patents in this space, and I, I think it's uh, very hard to, to try to have any real assurance uh to you know you, you're not going to get a lot of guarantees uh i think uh in that domain uh it's a it's a difficult space uh and an evolving one although like i said a lot of the fundamental ideas have been out there for quite a long time and, and so in principle it should be possible to to do a lot without stepping on it any patents but it's it's a very difficult situation and we can't get into that analysis uh deeply sure, uh, sure. in the standardization domain we yeah, I mean, we uh we have policies that say that uh if something is is contributed to the standard people need to be uh committed to being willing to provide reasonable and non-discriminatory licenses and and that's about as far as we're allowed to go in mm-hmm. in the uh, development of a standard. There, there, are, there are other things that we do, trying to encourage uh, good good licensing. But uh, uh, that's sort of the 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 the, uh, the bright line for us in the standardization community is is what's known as RAND or reasonable and non discriminatory licensing, and also in in uh, the standardization domain we have had several ways of trying to have uh, royalty free uh, standards 
Yeah, we should say several attempts. That's what That's Leonardo right. told us about all these attempts <laughs> over the years to have royalty-free codex. Yeah. Until somebody uh, claimed IP under <laughs> and kind of closed the lid. Well, the yeah, I think the degree of success is is um, varies from project to project, and uh, but we we have had several projects, and there are new projects as well. I think we should talk to, about those to have. Yeah, uh, let's. There's a, there's a new project. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the uh, the, the latest attempt. I uh-huh. I, I heard that. Um, with uh, there, there's a new codec being developed and will be also released next year alongside VVC that is called EVC. And from my understanding, EVC has two levels. One of them is royalty-free and has better compression efficiency than H.264 AVC. And the second one is uh, royalty-known uh, and has better comp- compression efficiency than HEVC. So can you tell us a bit about uh, the, uh, the codec and these uh, kind of uh, uh, two tiers that it's going to have? Well, yes, this is something that was the project actually began after we started doing the, the VVC project. And it MPEG EVC, or Essential Video Coding, is this uh, alternative to VVC. And it's, I guess, maybe roughly like what you described. The, uh, of course, like we said, assuring that the baseline would be royalty-free is is a tough thing to try to assure. Mm-hmm. We tried to have a royalty-free baseline for for AVC, right? And uh, whether that. whether we ultimately succeeded on that or not, I, I. You know, it turned out that the baseline was not the the popular version of that of that standard. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that that question was ever really tested in court. Uh, but it's hard to really know whether something is going to be royalty free or not, or or if if the licensing fees are going to be you know straightforward or uh, and predictable or not. The, in terms of technology, the EVC has a lot in common with uh, VVC. It uh, the more advanced uh, profile of, of EVC is is uh, kind of similar in spirit to uh, to VVC. It's a smaller project in terms of the number of people participating and the number of, of companies uh, contributing. But uh, I guess it, it could always be some kind of fallback if, if the licensing for, for VVC uh, doesn't work out well. Maybe it could work out better for, for EVC. It also, it, in some sense, it has more than just two tiers uh, because, as I understand it, it, it does have a number of features that can be turned on and off individually. So uh, there, there's... there's uh, a bit, you know, more than two kinds of configurability there. The the exact number of profiles and, and features in the standard is, is still um, yet to be finalized, I think. Uh, but uh, it's uh, on track to be standardized in roughly the same timeline as, as VVC, I think, uh, being uh, finished in uh, July or October of, of next year. And is this kind of configurability also going to be implemented in VVC, turning things on and off? 
Uh, yes. And, well, to, to some extent, we've always had that. But the number of features that you can can turn on and off has has been increasing over time. And uh, we're trying to provide more flexibility intentionally about that uh, for VBC. Uh, we have we have even considered carrying uh, what's called a sub-profile indicator so that some, say, uh, industry consortium or something could could define their own configuration of which features are turned off and there would be a way to signal in the bitstream that you have a conformance to some kind of subset like that without necessarily having it be what's called a distinct profile in the standard. And now we're getting into details of profiles and levels and things that are, that are, uh, can, can get kind of deep and complicated, but, um, but there, there is some work being done on that. And, and also there's a industry group that's trying to facilitate, uh, some of those developments, uh, and maybe doing sub profile definitions, Mm-hmm. I think it's called the MCIF, uh, and uh, that group is um, trying to encourage VVC adoption and consider potential needs for sub-profiling. We're still about eight months from finalization of VVC, but there are uh, efforts like that underway. So is all of this – my question, Gary, is – is is all of this because this certainly adds complexity as you note you know it's not as simple as just a handful of profiles is this all in response to enabling the industry to be able to adopt this next generation standard but in the event that there are ip challenges or there's concerns that in theory you could turn off a tool that may be associated with that patent or with that set of IP. Is that really what's driving this? Because certainly no one's looking for just added complexity. So, well, uh, I guess IP could be part of, part of the equation. Uh, Also, you know, computational concerns or something like that could also be, uh, be part of the, part of the equation. That's a good point. Yep. Yep. That's a good point. So you kind of could custom tune, you know, if you have a very specific application and you need to hit a certain performance target, I guess that's. Right. And we've seen that. Uh, I think I mentioned before, we've seen some of that in the past. Uh, there, Just to, to bring up uh, one case that was the most, uh, the most uh, common that I can think of, it, it was uh, MPEG-4 Part 2. Uh, had a profile uh, called the uh, advanced simple profile and uh, there there was a certain amount of, of market adoption of the advanced simple profile with one feature turned off that that became common in the in the marketplace to some extent and uh, I think that was not just a matter of licensing it was also a question of the uh, complexity coding efficiency trade-off and the industry does gain experience over time on how effective things are to be used, and and uh, uh, so there's there is that possibility of of uh, some kind of subsetting. Although you know, if you let that 
get out of hand. It could it it uh, almost could defeat the purpose of standardization because you you could end up with islands of of separate operation things that are not compatible across domains with each other and interoperability is really a fundamental goal of of what we do right right fragmentation in the market is something that nobody wants and and this brings me to a question that's been bothering me ever since i heard about evc so actually next year the empire committee is going to release at least three different codecs There are two flavors of EVC and there is VVC. Now, each one of them is great. I mean, the, the EVC, which is royalty-free, it's better than what we have today, better than AVC, and, and you don't need to pay any royalties. That's great. The next level is better than HEVC, and you know the royalties you have to pay. That issue is solved, so there's no uncertainty. That's wonderful. And then there's VVC that has the highest compression efficiency and it's probably the best codec in the world today and also next year. But then, uh, and, and I can implement that and, and get the best, but we need to see about the royalty issues of that one. So on one hand, you know, choice in, in the industry is great. You can uh, take uh, or implement whatever, whatever you choose, but, but choices also can cause confusion. If I'm, let's say, a codec developer, and by chance I am, And now I want to, um, I want to uh, make my plans for 2020, start implementing uh, some of these new codecs. Which one do I implement? Do I implement the first EVC, the second one? Or do I implement VVC? Do I implement two of them, all of them? And the question and it, arises yeah. because I don't know where the market will go. Right. And, and you, just keeping it all straight in your head is, is a challenge as well. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be an expert <laughs> just to know what each one of them is. And then... I, I remember, uh, let me t- tell you a story. I remember, seems like it was around 2004 or something. I got into an email conversation with somebody and, and uh, they were talking about whether to implement uh, AVC or, or uh, MPEG-4 or, or H.264 or H.26L or I think there was... yet some other name that, that all <laughs> actually right. referred to the same, to the standard. same one. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know all the alphabet soup, right. you, can't, you can't keep it all straight. That's uh, right. You know, H- H-26L, <laughs> H-264, MPEG-4, Part 10, yeah. or MPEG-4, AVC. Yeah. It's all the same. And, and not, all, not everybody knows that. But let's say you, you know, you made some, uh, uh, some good job in explaining to the market the advantages of those codecs, but still, as a codec developer, you don't know what the service providers are going to implement. As a service provider, you have these choices. So, so the question is, technically, I understand why there are three flavors, and from a royalty standpoint, I also understand it. But when you look at the whole, As, the, as, as these three standards are being released by the MPEG committee in 2020, w- what do you think uh, will happen in the market in terms of adopting uh, uh, these uh, standards? Well, you know, I think our, our hope, the hope of most people in that community is that VVC will, will be widely adopted and, and quickly. Mm-hmm. But we, we have no ultimate control over whether the licensing regime for that will be also work out well and quickly uh, without control over that we 
we're we're looking at uh, at alternatives. It's, it's just sort of a necessary <laughs> backup plan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I think, now I get it. I think okay. most, pretty much everybody who's involved uh, would agree that that uh, you know among the 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 field of things uh, available, at least within that time frame, VVC is the most. Uh, advanced in terms of compression capability and and other capabilities and and that it will be implementable in terms of complexity so uh, i think the the licensing situation which is something we cannot ultimately control is is the the remaining question mark and we have to hope that the people who hold patents or claim to hold patents on it uh will uh come to their senses and, and realize that, that a bigger market is good for good for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, maybe a, a good way to wrap yeah. up this really um, engaging conversation would be, you know, Gary, if you could give us a perspective of how VVC has advanced or, or is advancing beyond HEVC maybe some tools that are in it and just give the readers a, a bit of a, a preview of what's coming. Well, there, there is a lot in there. Most of the uh, techniques that you find in there are, are, are things that you don't really see in the external behavior of the, of, of the codec. You know, you see video go into an encoder and video come out of a decoder and all the all the strange things that happen in between are, sure. are not always visible to the to the outside world we have been doing generally we have been adding more stages of processing more filtering more options of how you can segment things like we have this uh, binary and ternary tree with more flexible ways of partitioning things we have uh, better motion vector predictions and uh, uh, just gee each part of this of the design has been has been um, improved substantially and some extra filtering stages have have been added some extra prediction modes like affine uh, motion compensation and uh, decoder side motion vector refinement. Uh, uh, there's been a, a lot of things added. Generally, we find that each individual feature that we have been adding, it has become harder and harder to get uh, to get more coding efficiency out of adding more stuff. So. There isn't a lot that uh, we know of that we haven't put into the design in terms of, of coding efficiency. At this point, we've, we, we're really pushing the envelope on, on compression capability. And so we think that, especially for very high-resolution video like uh, Ultra HD, we think we are in the neighborhood of, of a two-to-one compression improvement over the previous uh, generation HEVC. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Which you know, my mind is going to Samsung is is now actively pushing 8K, as are other panel manufacturers. So VVC could be just like HEVC is the 
you know, is is really the only way exactly. It's enabler of 4K. Enabler. And yet, of 4K. you know, even with HEVC, yes. like you're really pushing it for 8K at 40 megabits. You know, we we think we can we can get really decent quality at maybe around 40 megabits, but that is, you know, that's still that's a lot to tell somebody they, you know, they need to stream at 40, and that's really pushing it. So Yeah. Wow. There there are other ways that we're that we're improving the capabilities mm-hmm. as well that I think are, are worth mentioning. One is that increasingly what you see as video That's right. uh, is not all something that came from a camera. So scrolling graphics and, and uh, other kinds of computer-generated material are an increasing part of, of what is considered video today. Yeah, cloud uh, gaming is going to be huge. Yes, yeah. So there's the, this category of content that we call screen content or mixed content. We had a, a big effort to extend HEVC by adding new profiles with those capabilities uh, several years after the original version of the, the HEVC standard was, was developed. But in VVC, we're going to have those kind of capabilities in version one of the standard. And uh, so I think the the um, improved compression of, of screen content is also uh, a uh, an important feature to, to for people to be aware of. And then there there are other aspects of of uh, VVC that that are also enabling new applications, which is somewhat why we call it versatile video coding. A lot of tricks for for things like uh, adapting resolutions, picture resolution, are being built into the design with what we call reference picture resampling and some types of scalability and lots of more more flexible ways that you can use the video content. You folks work for a company called Beamer. One of the things that we're trying to enable with with uh-huh. uh, VVC is called Beam. Bitstream extraction and merging. Oh, yeah, that's a new acronym for our company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so you would be able to say uh, have coded video in a file and be able to access regions of that video content and put them together in in different ways to do things like uh, viewport dependent streaming for 360 immersive uh, video applications and and uh, maybe like low delay uh, video conferencing or something. Do you can kind of mix and match regions of video content in a more flexible ways than, than you could with, uh, with previous standards. Uh, so we have concepts called uh, sub pictures, for example, and, and tiles, uh, which are, are uh, make the video more flexible to be able to be used in different ways and in, mm-hmm. in different systems. Uh, so we're really building in a lot of emphasis on this this uh, versatility or flexibility into to uh, version one of, of, uh, of VVC and including even uh, traditional scalability features as well. So it really will be a more versatile design so I guess that's why it's called versatile video codec, right? Exactly, exactly. Yes, <laughs> and and it makes sense, as you said, the, the industry is is changing. Until now, mainly video compression was used for natural video, 
for pictures, uh, moving pictures captured by the camera, and and you needed to compress that content, and it has certain characteristics. But now we have new visual applications such as VR, 360-degree videos, cloud gaming, esports. Yep. So you're broadcasting a lot yes. of pixels that are not and natural. High dynamic range and, and right. ultra HD. Uh, we're yeah, trying to consider absolutely. all of that in the development of, of VVC from, from the ground up. Uh, but I think we, we do acknowledge that the, the core is, is generally compression. You know, if you want a new generation of standard and it, you want it to be really compelling for people to adopt, you have to do a really good job on on what we call coding efficiency, which is the raw compression capability. Keep reducing the number of bits that you need to achieve a certain level of subjective video quality. Uh, and that, that's been a a major design goal, and I, I think we're we're about there on VVC at this point. We're we're uh, cleaning up the details and and uh, double checking things in in terms of the coding efficiency, and uh, it's those those flexibility features that we're we're still still ironing out. Uh, but but we're there in terms of compression capability. We're quite proud of, of uh, what we have achieved in that regard, and we're, we're on track to, to deliver a, a new major, major generation of, of standard next year. That's wonderful. It really sounds amazing, and I'd like to thank you personally and all the team at JVED that is uh, developing the, this uh, new codec, which will bring uh, enormous efficiencies and enable new applications. I know it's a lot of hard work, I know that in those meetings, you don't um, sit around and do nothing. You sit from uh, from day to night, right? And then after meetings are over, probably you, you go over the document and the draft. There's <laughs> yeah, more work to be done. done night, yeah. And then it continues. And, it's, and, you know, it's really a lot of work and a lot of effort. You told me when we scheduled this podcast, it was just before the MPEG meeting in Geneva, beginning of October, that was 10 days and you told me that after that, you're going to have an uh, editing uh, meeting, editor's meeting, uh, right after that meeting, and then an ITUT meeting. And from there, you went to Snapty, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you managed yeah. to get the Emmy on the way. <laughs> and finally, you know, we're at the end of October, the last day, and we're recording this podcast, and and uh, you finally found some um, some time to, uh, to settle down and talk to us. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. We really thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule and coming here to talk about uh, the progress in video compression. And I don't think there's hardly anyone that is um, that can do it um, as you, and we've learned a lot. So uh, thank you very much for joining our podcast today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this stuff uh, and uh, teach people what's going on in the industry. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, we definitely will have you on for a follow-up, a, a, a part two. And uh, this is this is really great stuff, great work that you're doing. So thank you, Gary. Happy to, happy to sit down with you. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H.264 transcoding every month.